and welcome back to Chicks and Balls, the podcast, a sports podcast by women about more than women's sport. On today's show, we preview the seventh AFLW season coming this August and give an update on everything that's going on at Wimbledon. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Marley Silva and tonight... Well, today, whenever you're listening, I am joined by one of my regular co-hosts. It's Georgia Moore. It's so good to be joined by you, Georgia. How are you? I am well. It feels like a rarity at this stage, but no, I'm good. I'm really good. How are you doing, Harley? I'm good. Um, I am actually relieved because yesterday I woke up with no voice and I thought, well, that's an important thing that I need in my life, in my job. Um, and I've managed to recover quite quickly and have maybe a, a still a little bit of a croakiness or a weirdness sound to it, but it, it's at least working because I honestly was barely understandable on the phone. Um, so I'm, I'm happy. I'm just happy to be here. What's the secret? How did you cure yourself so quickly? I just didn't talk. Like I didn't try and talk, which I have had that, you know, prescribed to me Good. in the past and it, and it, you know, it's, it's usually hard to do, but you know, until last night when my parents finally arrived home from Europe, I had no one to talk to. So it worked out fine. <laughs> nice. Always a good solution. So how was your week, Georgia? Any, any big news, anything to update us on? Um, how was my week? Well, my week actually started off with Keely which was nice. It feels like a very long time ago now. Um, But we caught up when she was in London briefly once again. What else has happened? It's been a big week. I'm going to get to it in my MVP section about my weekend. But otherwise, just living that summer life in London. I'm feeling quite good about myself because everyone at home is posting all rugged up and it's quite nice over here. So I don't think it will last very long. But right now it's warmer here than it is at home. Yes, fair enough. I am very jealous because my week consisted of me walking 150 k's in um, the cold and not the rain so much, thankfully. That's something I'm very, very grateful for because everyone who is in Sydney or on the East Coast this week will know that it is absolute madness. There's been, you know, lots of flooding and, and terrible areas being evacuated and all that stuff. And some of those areas are places we actually walked through from Sydney to Newcastle for the Mark Hughes Foundation. So it is nuts. I also don't have any blisters, um, amazingly. I don't know how I've done that, um, but it's it's a big win. And I'm assuming Keely's having a great week as well because she's on sale Croatia. So we, you know, uh, we might be dropping in a little feedback and update clip from her in a little sec. But I guess I will also just introduce this segment um, to add to her feedback feels because, uh, yeah, I've got a little bit of feedback as well. So this is feedback feels with not kills. (laughs) So the little feedback feels without kills that I've got um, is just, I mean, admittedly, it is tough to say because you don't want to give him more uh, ego than he already has, but Quite a bit of love for our um, guest host, Nico Hines, from last week's episode. Um, Admittedly, uh, a loyal, very loyal listener in Gab Crotty said that, yeah, we love Nico, but he will never be able to replace G Moore and Keely, which I expect nothing less from her. But yeah, a few other people anecdotally, not to our Instagram page, but to me, have actually said they were pleasantly surprised with his ability to to host. So I think he will really like that. I think he was a little bit worried about 
uh, as much as he was carrying on that he was going to be a lot better than you guys, he wanted to be able to meet the standard that is chicks and balls. So, um, yeah, he did He did a pretty good job. We've been lucky with the um, couple of male co-hosts we've had step in, including, you know, Mitch Parker and that. They, they know how to hold their own to to hold up that end of the uh, the balls part of Chicks and Balls. They sure do. We are very grateful. Grateful to Nico, as you said. Don't want to boost his ego too much, but grateful nonetheless. I also have feedback for Gab Crotty. She asked how I am doing with Love Island. And I just want to say being in the UK while the UK Love Island on is somewhat of a euphoric experience. <laughs> Every, it's so funny. We were out to dinner last night and everyone's like, it's nearly nine. We got to get home. It really consumes the life of our generation at 9 p.m. on weeknights. Um, and it's great. I'm loving it, Gab. I can't really vibe with Ek and Sue. If you know, you know. Um, but otherwise, I'm, um, I'm a big fan of Luca and I'm thoroughly enjoying being over here while it's on. So thanks for checking in. <laughs> I love that. And with that, we'll throw to Keely with uh, what I'm sure is some, some great chat from her yacht in Croatia. Hello, hello from Croatia. I actually don't know where I am right now, um, but I'm near some island and it's 30 degrees and it's beautiful and I'm sorry that it's raining back in Sydney, but um, I'm just popping in to give a little update and... Uh, not really provide feedback feels, so I apologise because I haven't really received any feedback. Um, but I can tell you that I um, a, a quick John Dory um, for everyone. So I'm on sale Croatia and it's day three, I think, potentially day three. And we got put on, you know, this, this boat that was the smallest out of the line of boats that were here, which is fine. And it looked a bit dingy, but um, I think that's where you get the best, I guess, because, you know, when you go down an alleyway in like another country and that's the dodgy food is always the best food. That's kind of how how it went. Um, Long story short, our boat had a few problems. First morning we had to stop an hour in and had to spend two or three hours trying to fix our engine. Something had happened to our engine. People were on the below deck had to come up because um, of carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, and then we managed to get to the next place. Then our generator went, so we needed to go find power. So we had to fix that the next day. And they basically, Sail Croatia, the company, have upgraded us to a VIP boat this boat is massive like I can't believe we got upgraded to it and I can't believe how lost I am because it's way too big for my own good so that's where we're at and yeah I my body is slowly shutting down but you know we move on we move through I've had one vomit this week which is pretty good um but sport wise we actually have managed we watched the Volkanovski fight on um on live stream on one of the boys phones we've kept up to date with all the rugby league scores and my tips suck so actually that's a good feedback from me to everyone else if someone can please send me who i should tip this week that would be great and much appreciated but that's kind of all from me i don't have much else i'm not keeping up to date with anything else i was devastated for the giants netball game um especially for our lovely friend and family of the show jamie lee price that's about it, I think. State of Origin, I'm really excited for State of Origin Game 3. Um, I will pop in next week to let you know what 
we'll be doing, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be in EOS in Greece and where there is a bar that um, a lot of Australians go to to watch it. So that'll be really exciting and I, I guess we'll still get, get to go amongst it. Um, but anyway, I hope everyone's safe and not having too much of a shit time in the cold weather. I'll, um, I'll enjoy the sun for everyone. All right. See you, fam. Now it's time for a segment that we call Around the Grounds where we dive into the biggest headlines in sports media from the week gone by and one that was pretty exciting to see earlier this week was the much-anticipated AFLW season fixture that was released. It will all kick off with the traditional clash between Carlton and Collingwood at Princes Park on Thursday night August 25. It is just around the corner, really. It's amazing that we're this far in the year. That really freaks me out. Um, but it is it, it important that they're going to open like this. And I think um, what's particularly exciting for fans of the women's game coming through is the opportunity that having this season kind of run in conjunction with the men's final series is how many more eyes and how many uh, more bodies in, in stadiums there will be for these sorts of games. You know, um, there was a pretty disappointing AFLW opener at the beginning of this year that saw only about 3,300 people show up when that uh, opened and they're, they're hoping to get back to the the openers that drew around 15,000 and 25,000 over, um, you know, the, the first ever seasons of the AFLW when we get there. But, gee, I wanted to start by asking, you know, seeing this finally come out and, and having those dates, uh, what, what excites you about it? You know, there's four new teams that are coming into this. Um, it should be really, really exciting. Yeah, I think definitely we've obviously spoken about how exciting this season is going to be, that it's not quite a summer season. It's running in conjunction with the men's. It's obviously expanded. There's so much to look forward to. I do want to say, though, I kind of love the part of the men's game. AFL fans, particularly Victorians, are such suckers for tradition when it comes to very specific and niche parts of the season and of the game down there. And I think that going back to the Carlton Collingwood grudge match is such like a as I said niche probably for a lot of people but a really important part of holding that tradition and bringing across you know the fan the genuine fans of the game so I'm excited for that season opener I think it's a smart decision by the AFL Um, I think you know good old if it's not broken don't fix it so I think it'll be a good season opener for it I'm excited for the new teams I think it will be a really good test of You know, we talk so much about how to retain the quality of the game when expanding it. Um, So it'll be an awesome test to see where all the girls are at and to see just how big this is going to get and, you know, where the standard of play is at now that, you know, that talent has sort of been diluted over a bunch of new clubs. So I'm excited. I obviously will be sticking with the Western Bulldogs through and through. They had a slightly lacklustre last season. Um but I have faith that they can return to their premiership days. Yes, and uh, for, you know, any AFL fan, there's someone, a, a women's side to represent your team now. So, um, you know, Sydney-based people, you'll also be able to see your Swannies in action for the very first time um, at North Sydney Oval against St Kilda in the first weekend of that on the Saturday night spot. But despite the introduction of those four new clubs, there's only going to be 10 rounds of regular competition, and that'll mean that not all clubs will actually get to play each other. So instead, the final series has been extended to four weeks and that will 
will um, take place between the top eight teams. So it will mean that those um, bottom two will not will really not get to play um, as much footy as the rest of them. Um, but when they were, you know, the boss, uh, the bosses in AFL were kind of questioned about um, this when it came to the fixture being pretty short. They've said that the league's focus was on developing a real even um, competitive competition, which is what you were referring to there, G, that making sure that um, quality across the board is there. And I guess that is something that certainly, I think for me, just like not being, you know, super um, aware or any kind of expert when it comes to um, AFLW, something that I've heard anecdotally is people talking about how the score lines remained really, really low um in comparison to the men's and and you know whether that quality is going to be able to to be there for all 18 teams is something that um everyone's keeping an eye on so there's still going to be plenty of women's footy for people to get around and if you haven't already um and you're not really sure who you want to be backing or you don't know um you know what kind of athletes you you should be looking out for in this competition i highly recommend going back and looking at some of the stories that came about in the aflw draft last week um there were some really beautiful moments in the draft night um you know sisters being picked in teams together and probably my favorite thing out of that was uh some of the girls talking about you know they're the first generation who grew up you know thinking that AFLW could be a a proper professional pathway for them. So it wasn't that they were imagining that somewhere someday there might be a women's competition, but they were teenagers, um, you know, pursuing this professional career. So we we see that coming through and I think it's going to make for, uh, as the years uh, move on, we'll, we'll just see it get better and better. Very exciting. Are you sticking with the Swans? I think I'll be sticking with the Swans. I've, I've, been following uh, their Instagram actually since it was launched, the Swans AFLW Insta, watching the girls, uh, seeing a few of the the ones who got told they would be the first uh, AFLW Swannies and I'm, I'm all about it. There is something super special about a foundation team, I think. So it's so, ex- I mean, it's so exciting for, like you said, we're really starting to see that first generation of girls who, you know, while they were still in school and while they were still young, saw this as a genuine pathway for them. So I think that in itself, like, honestly gives me goosebumps thinking about it. But also, you know, there is an extra element of so many foundation players starting up with the potential to create something really special at each of their relative clubs. So it's an exciting time to be a woman in sport in Australia, that's for sure. And it's an exciting time to be an AFL fan, AFLW fan, all of the above. All of the above. And I have to say just one name that's just popped into my head. Obviously, Erin Phillips has been at the forefront of the AFLW since its inception, just about. She's a phenomenal athlete and she, you know, in one of the biggest kind of um, club moves uh, of the off season is now going to be in the foundation team of Port Adelaide where her dad actually played and that's a really special story um, of her she's that's what she'd always wanted to do um, even though she's been uh, yeah really dominant at the Crows she's moved across the the city um, down there in Adelaide and now she'll be playing for for Port and uh, I think probably looking to make them as competitive as as her old, old team but that was a, certainly a big story and there was actually a little bit of um uh, I wouldn't say controversy, but the the Crows made some um, uh, little, I don't know, kind of backhanded tweets about it. Obviously sad to lose her. Um, but, yeah, that, that's one that I'll certainly be looking out for uh, aside from how the Swannies go to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've said it once, we'll say it a thousand times, the father-daughter rule, and hopefully eventually one day the mother-daughter rule will always be my favourite thing ever. 
and I still want the NRL to implement it. So it's such a, they're always such incredible stories. There we go. AFLW only a month and a bit away. Hi guys, before we get started on our next segment, we just wanted to put a little disclaimer in here. A couple of hours after recording, it was announced that Nick Kyrgios has been charged with assaulting his ex-girlfriend and is due to appear in Canberra in court next month. Um, While we do discuss his tennis accolades and his success on the court here, that's definitely not something that we condone. Um, The matter is now before the court, so decision is not yet final, but we just wanted to say that we do acknowledge that that is a difficult thing to separate from the person and the athlete um, and just to take this next segment with a grain of salt. And the other story we wanted to talk about this week on Around the Grounds is where we're at in terms of Wimbledon. And I think it would be completely remiss of me to not start by asking our resident London correspondent, Georgia Moore, what the city of London is like when Wimbledon is going on. So, look, Wimbledon is the talk of the town, I will say, but I think because London (laughs) is so massive and Wimbledon is actually quite far out of central it doesn't for me have that same buzz that the Oz Open gives the city of Melbourne if you have ever been in anywhere near Melbourne at the time of the Australian Open over that summer it really is like obviously it's geographically in the center of the city but the festival really spans I feel those inner suburbs and it's such a vibe around the whole city and probably living in Richmond I was a bit biased to that because we were right in the thick of it. So it is a little bit different because it doesn't have that same sort of encapsulating the whole of London vibe, but it's very much the talk of the town. Everyone's so excited. I'm actually very upset. I'm missing an opportunity to see Kyrgios in the quarterfinals tomorrow because of work, which is my heart bleeds, but it's exciting and it's awesome to have Aussies doing so well while I'm over here so I can give it to the Brits, which is really exciting. Massive sentiment about missing Ash this year. Even the Brits are really upset about the fact that she's not here to defend her title. Um, so, no, it's been exciting. It's obviously nice to have something on all the time that everyone's talking about. Like I mentioned before, the weather's been great. So, it is still that bit of a buzz. It's just not in the centre of the city, so you don't sort of get that festival atmosphere at the same time. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I have been to the grounds. Actually, the last time I was in London, uh, Wimbledon was on, and Keely and I uh, trekked it out there just to be around the, the grounds of Wimbledon when I think it was just before the men's um, final. So it was buzzing, but the weather was not great. Um, but, yeah, so that that makes sense, though, um, that it's just that little bit different to the Oz Open because it is so distant. But I'm glad you mentioned good old Nick because that's certainly been the uh, – happy and somewhat surprising story of um, Wimbledon this year so far is we kind of expect I think a lot of Aussies have sort of switched off from tennis now we don't have Ash because I think part of us just went okay we have no chance of of winning or doing anything impressive in tennis anymore but um, the buzz is certainly back uh, because not only is Nick Kyrgios in the quarterfinals but so is um, oh how do we say her name again Tom Janovic. I know that, but I can't remember how to say her first name. And I know we stuffed up this last time we spoke about tennis and I feel terrible. I'm just going to stick with the last name because I've got that right. Tom Janovic. 
And Blake, our producer, is the biggest tennis fan and he'll probably tell us that exactly how to say a name. But anyway, we've got two in the quarters, which is great. And I think what has been, I mean, of course, Nick always makes headlines, loves to. It's been really interesting to see him and Sitsipas um, both get pretty hefty fines. Actually, I just saw it announced. Actually, Sitsipas has got a fine of 14700 Australian dollars uh, and Nick's got 5800 It's comparatively to some of the other fines he's got, you know, probably pocket change. But I think my favourite thing that I've seen from Nick Curios in Wimbledon so far is him talking about the fact that I think you guys forgot I'm actually good at tennis. So every now and then I just like to remind people. Yeah. <laughs> Which is is brilliant. And what a story it would be to see him, you know, even get to the semis and then the final um, to to kind of, I don't know, like I guess remind, yeah, remind people just of that, that he's not someone there who's just about um, creating controversy but actually is, is pretty good with a racket. Yeah, for sure. I think it is interesting because we definitely do get lost in the headlines and then sometimes when you watch him play, you're just like, oh, my goodness, the power in this man. Um, I think it's exciting to, do, to see him doing well and it's always nice to see him in – headlines for better reasons rather than worse despite how fiery it did get um I did see on a podcast not that long ago that he was talking about the total like how much he thinks total in his career he's been fined and it's some astronomical figures so I'm sure sub 10k doesn't you know he doesn't miss it too much out of his bank account like you said but no it's exciting to see the Aussies doing well particularly Nick because I think he is one of those love to hate characters and I personally really love him as an athlete so I'm always looking for a reason to defend him to the masses so get it Nick. What did you think about that um, I guess disagreement should we say between him and Sitsipas because Sitsipas has called him a bully there was whispers of him talking to other athletes that they should you know not talk to him in change rooms and, and this sort of stuff and Nick spoke about the fact that there's a double standard because if he'd hit a ball and it into the crowd and it hit someone he would have gotten in a lot of trouble um, where Sitsipas maybe it didn't I thought I thought that was interesting and and yeah I wondered what you thought about that whole situation what both claims the athletes were making I think it's interesting because a it just goes to show that it doesn't matter how old you are or what you do for a living bitchiness and clicks and all of that kind of dynamic will always sneak into any environment um, especially a high pressure environment like that you know these men there is a degree and we've spoken about this before in individual athletes there is always going to be a degree of you know I don't want to say self-absorption but self-interest perhaps um I think Nick has also touched on it before that he feels like sometimes he does get harder done by because of the reputation that precedes him we've definitely agreed with that notation when it comes to you know Latrell or when it comes to any sort of athlete that does have a bit of a rep where the judgments are made on that more than on the actual action I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's a high-pressure environment and, you know, pains to come out of my mouth, but boys will always be boys, but not even that. I think it's like this weird element of, like, someone has spoken before about male athletes are constantly trapped at the age of 24 
because when they come in young, they're given all this money and treated much older than they are. And then as they get older, they're treated much younger than they are because they're, you know, around younger athletes and blah, blah, blah. So I think at the end of the day, there's always going to be a scandal, especially when Nick's involved. And I think that maybe they will just need to grow up a little bit get along like the good Greeks they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, basically your countrymen. Um, but you're right. It, it is certainly that very competitive environment. And I think that to a certain level, Nick Kyrgios loves to play with the journos in a press conference, the way oh, he talks to them. 1,000%. He thrives from it. And also I think he leans into the fact where he's like, you know, I'm never coming all the way back from this reputation that I have, so I may as well lean into it a little bit, give them something to talk about. It would be hard not to if you're there and you already know they're going to find something, so you may as well feed it to them on your terms. So, look, I think it's a bit harmless at this stage. For sure, and we certainly wish Nick the very best in that quarterfinal that you won't be going to, G, but um, I probably won't be watching and hopefully we just hear that he wins. Um, But away from from that, the other thing I I really wanted to touch on because we spoke quite extensively about this when it happened, that there have been protesters wearing Where Is Peng Shui um, shirts uh, kicked out of Wimbledon. It, it kind of unsurprisingly, as Wimbledon has a um, standard of, of people not being allowed to wear political shirts in and around um, the competition as a sort of a blanket rule. Um, what has been interesting, though, is um, former tennis champ Martina Navratilova has come out and said, you know, you're stopping people from speaking out, but that's exactly what China is doing to, to its um you know, residents in referring to what's happened with Peng Shui. Um, And also a big correlation has been um, kind of pointed out in the fact that Russian players have not been allowed to compete in Wimbledon and and the tennis world has really come out hard when it comes to the war in Ukraine and and sort of um, the oppressive government of, of Russia and the like. And then also kind of trying to act like they're they're an apolitical competition or all that sort of stuff and, and then shutting down these people who are speaking up about, um, you know, what is a presumed, um, you know, silencing uh, of a, a tennis player who spoke out about a sexual assault. Yeah, I think it's a tough one. I mean, there's obviously politically for, you know, England as a country, there's obviously a lot more going on that we will never see at the surface of a sporting event, both with Russia, Ukraine and China. It is a hard one. I mean, there's tweets getting around saying they have been warned against even speaking about Peng Shui at Wimbledon. It's hard with the dress one because I think if any tournament can ban political clothing, it's Wimbledon because they have a dress code regardless. So, like, not only can you not wear political clothes, you can't wear, you know, flip-flops and ripped jeans or whatnot. So... It is a really difficult one and especially, like you said, they're hardly making a quiet statement about Russia banning their players. So they are coming out very vocally politically about one thing and now not the other, um, which is, I imagine, quite hard to, you know, level with, as most people should be with the handling of the Peng Shui saga. So, you know, it's hard. We'll probably never hear an answer to what has fully gone on there and we'll probably never get to a place where this sort of stuff is allowed at a competition like Wimbledon. So, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's interesting to see that nothing has really shifted since the same sort of situation was happening at Melbourne Park. Um, I don't know how prepared Wimbledon were for it or how they thought it would shift in a matter of months between the Oz Open and Wimbledon, but 
Yeah, it's a difficult one, especially when you add in Ukraine that, you know, the entire country and the Tennis Association and Wimbledon itself have been very loud about that. So it is sort of picking and choosing battles, but I just don't know if it, you know, they feel sort of the stance against Russia is on their own terms rather than, you know, like uh, ambush marketing. So it's not necessarily a narrative that they have control over. So, Mm. yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, definitely. I think it is quite revealing and I think a good reminder to to all of us, you know, plebs of the world that there is this sort of high-end culture to, to Wimbledon that is very prim and proper and almost of of the royals, you know, you think of the royal box at Wimbledon and, and kind of very particular way of doing things even in the, the, the white uniforms that the players have to play in and, and all that sort of stuff, as you said, like the dress code. Speaking of the, the culture of Wimbledon, what has been probably the coolest thing um, I've seen come out of the competition so far, just in terms of the footage that I've seen, is the celebrations for the competition's uh, 100th anniversary. So for their centenary, um, they invited, well, they featured 26 previous champions of, of Wimbledon to come to centre court um, and and celebrate and, and talk about, I guess, the history of tennis and, and what each of them have sort of achieved and what Wimbledon has meant. Um, you know, the likes, of course, of, of Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic of current, you know, uh, superstars, Venus Williams was there, but also Billie Jean King, who, who is an absolute pioneer of, of particularly women's tennis. Gee, did you get to see any of that footage from the centenary celebration? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's all over... TV at the minute. So it is super exciting. I think it's always quite impressive to see that many stars and icons of the game in sort of one place at one time. Such a nice reminder. I feel like, you know, generally speaking, tennis is a sport that has quite like a nostalgic feel about it for, I imagine, Australians particularly. You know, we watch it during the summer and it's such a fun time and it's sort of like a not year round, it doesn't get overdone event for us. So it's exciting to see those stars all back in one place and impressive, really. I think Billy Jean King, like you said, it's so special to have someone who was such a pioneer for tennis, of course, but women's sport, generally speaking, still around and still being so vocal and listening to them reminisce on the game. It's, um, it's just joyous. I loved it. I love seeing them kind of fangirl about each other as well. I think it was Djokovic who kept talking about Billie Jean King. You're just like, oh, that's so cool. It is very sweet. Well, yep, plenty for um, tennis fans to keep an eye on, but especially uh, for us Aussie fans too, while we've got two – at least two horses in the race, uh, one in the men's competition and one in the women's. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled and I guess, you know, keep your pims up. Gee, that's what you guys do. I'm, I'm counting you in the with the palms now by saying that's what you guys do. <laughs> um, it's getting close. You the real MVP. Now we come to a segment that we call MVPs, where each week we award someone or something our own personal MVP title for something that they've done. And G Moore, you've preempted that this MVP has a story to go with it. So let us know what yours is. It does indeed. So over the weekend, I was lucky enough to go to the Budgie Smuggler Ordinary Rig competition in the UK. Um, Dear friend of mine, Jess West, who works for Budgie Back Home, a lot of the Aussie team were over for this. And it was the funnest thing, one of the funnest events I have ever been to. If you're not familiar with the competition, 
hundreds of men apply to become the top 10 most ordinary rig voted by the UK and then the top 10 get narrowed down they all come to this event and first and second prize actually get flown out to Australia later in the year to compete against Australia's most ordinary rigs um, so it was a super exciting day. It was at like a beach club vibe in London, which was quite bizarre. We're in the middle of the city in like a sand pit, but it was a very fun day with everyone just like rigs out, budgie smugglers everywhere. The top 10 boys were hilarious. They had to do a number of different challenges, performances, show and tell, party trick, and it was great. There were a few rugby sevens and traditional rugby legends of the UK there which all the you know locals were very excited about so that was quite fun to watch as a you know outsider Aussie but yeah all the boys were amazing it was such a fun very drunken very wild day um I did lock myself out of the house at the end of it but it was (laughs) worth it and let me tell you there were some very ordinary rigs getting around so it was great Oh, sounds so fun. I do remember the first time they did it here at the Ivy in Sydney and seeing all that footage and um, I can imagine. I mean, Budgie Smuggler is such a good brand. They're so good at doing that stuff. So I'm a bit jealous. You'll definitely have to try and make it to the Australian one later in the year. Well worth the day out. I love that kind of crap. Well, my MVP, I guess it's hard to narrow it down to one person who was involved in the big three trek that I did um, last week, but that the whole kind of community of the support bus that follows you the whole way from Sydney to Newcastle to the um, people who work for the Mark Hughes Foundation to the people who organised it to even just every person I spoke to who was a fellow trekker who helped me get through um, by telling me a silly story or trying to distract me from my very sore knees um, as we we went through the wilderness um, has to be my MVP. It You know, it's the second time I've done a trek like that for some reason, this time felt a little bit harder. I think um, I've actually injured my knee and I will need my physio sister to look at it when she gets home during this one. And um, there was actually quite a bit of tears um, on day two. And uh, I, you know, for a hot minute, I was thinking, I don't know if I can do this. But all I had in my head was Nico Hines going, do not get in the pussy bus, Marley. You can't do it. And I didn't. I got all the way through um, with you know, in quite a bit of pain, I have to say. And the, the everyone um, involved who had all these incredible personal stories and just like a good people who just want to do stuff, it really lifted my spirit and it meant that when I did get to the finish line, it felt like the biggest accomplishment ever um, and was certainly worth it because after the Hispanis for brain cancer round in the NRL, um, the foundation has confirmed that they raised $4 million all up and $170,000 worth of that was done by our team who did that trek. So um, pretty pretty insane stuff and um, something that I feel very, very proud to be a part of. So easy MVP behaviour from the people who did the big three trek. Yeah, it was very inspiring stuff watching from afar. We are all very proud and none of your family were at the finish line for you. (laughs) Sending love from the other side of the world. It was, um, yeah, an incredible group of people and some unbelievable stories coming out of there. So well done to you and your knees, Miles. We're all very proud.
Now we come to our final segment of the show, which is our ones to watch, where we recommend what sport, event, or even a Netflix show you should be watching for the week ahead. And I'll kick us off. It is NADOC week here in Australia. Um, the what I have always referred to as Black Christmas in July. It is a big time for celebrating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture, history, um, and I guess also. F- you know, what is happening for our people in the future. So um, it kicked off on Sunday. It runs until the 10th of July. There's so many different events happening, probably wherever you are. If you go and just have a look of what's um, going on locally, there's even a a NADOC event happening in, um, I noticed today in uh, South Cronulla um, this weekend, which I don't reckon that's ever happened before. It's very exciting stuff. But then, um, you know, aside from sort of your local events and and getting in and amongst um, all, all the things happening all over the place. It's a real easy Google search these days. The big thing I'm really excited about is this Friday, a new documentary is coming out um, on Amazon Prime. It's called Warriors on the Field. It's directed by Larissa Brent, um, who's a really phenomenal Indigenous film director. She also marked my honours, fun fact, um, at university, and uh, she's someone I, I really look up to. She's made this one all about um, Nikki Wimbaugh, uh, who you know most people who know anything about Australian sport are familiar with because of those iconic photos of him um, lifting his shirt up and pointing to his black skin, um, you know, talking about being a, a black man and proud. And it features Michael O'Loughlin talks about um, the way that our, our Aboriginal athletes have sort of paved the way for big conversations around, you know, combating racism and the like. So definitely recommend for starters going and checking out that trailer and then putting it on your your watch list um, maybe over the weekend in this terrible weather. Um, it should be a really inspiring watch. So I'm looking forward to that. What about you, Gmore? That will definitely be on my watch list. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, I hate to be a cliche, but I'm just going to go ahead and do it. It is the decider that we are building for in at the time of recording just under a week. Um, there has been some unbelievable content coming out of both New South Wales and Queensland camps. I know the New South Wales squad were in Lismore um, yesterday at the time of recording and there's some really cool footage with them um, interacting with the local fans and the juniors around that area. Um, I know Queensland did a really emotive presentation of their jerseys last night with lots of the old boys who have come through squads in the years gone by at Suncorp Stadium, which is always good to watch if you're a Queensland fan since back in the day. Um, I think the content for league in particular just keeps getting better and better. So, you know, the build-up to the decider at Suncorp, which I'm very excited about. I was very confident enough to game one. Naturally not so confident enough to game two, but I um, am still obviously hoping for the best for Queensland. So the next time you hear from us, we will have will know the champion will have been crowned so get around the lead up to it and get excited i'll be at work at 11 a.m next wednesday when it's on but other than that i'm very excited (laughs) i am going to be hopefully at a bar with a few bintangs under my belt in bali um whilst watching that decider so um i'm hoping to get it you know uh, you know what? Like, look, of course I want New South Wales to win, but when I'm over there, I'm not going to give a crap and I'm going to celebrate with whichever a beautiful Australian bogans are beside me um, while we're there. So I'm going to be a winner either way as far as I'm concerned, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as well. Well, <laughs> with that, that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks for hanging out with us. I promise you very, very soon, we're all, it's going to be all three of us. It's going to be normal 
We're going to, it'll be like, you know, well, I'm sure so many of you are like us, have most of your friends in Europe for summer on your Instagram and that sort of stuff. So it's, you're just experiencing that with the podcast as well, but I promise it's going to be normal soon. And thanks for hanging out with us anyway. If you are enjoying the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star rating wherever you're listening. Follow us on Instagram at Chicks and Balls Pod on TikTok at Chicks and Balls Pod and on Twitter at Chicks and Balls. No pod. And other than that, I guess we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.